In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And we are waiting for my good friend, the witch finder, the witch finder, the ghost finder, general himself, Mr. Richard Felix. Last week, as you know, we broadcast live from uh, Derby Jail in the condemned man cell, and uh, according to Richard's site, uh, there was quite a few you tuned into the video on that, so that's something in the future that we are going to be doing more of. But anyways, uh, tomorrow night on Ghost Chronicles, the next generation at uh, 7 p.m. on TojiNet, we will be giving a couple of free tickets away to a cool party that they're having in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, so you want to tune in for that, and uh, we're going to be talking about haunted lighthouses and other cool stuff, and let's see what else we got coming up. Oh, next Tuesday is the Paranormal Study Group at the Circles of the Wisdom in Andover, Mass., and that's a monthly paranormal study group uh, that I run, and we will be looking at a film called, or documentary called The Other Side, which goes into the paranormal from uh, different points of view, from skeptics and believers and tour guides and all kinds of people from all different walks of life. So that's what will be happening in the upcoming week. Uh, but I have a really, really special guest for me today, for me, and you know, as I said, for me, because I think it is for me. He is a mentor of mine. He's the one that really got me involved into the paranormal uh, when I first started into it. Uh, he's the exorcist in chapter episode uh, six of my book, Ghost Chronicles, and he is none other than Brian the Monk. Brian, you there? Brian? I don't know if I could claim to be a mentor. I think you're a student of life, and you're very gracious, as always. Yeah, right. So, uh, Brian is a uh, Franciscan monk, for those who, who don't know. I, 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 is it proper to call you a monk? I, I, no, I know you, not I know really. You call, I know you call Brian the monk, and that was from Bob Cahill's book. That's, that's the nickname. Um, I'm, uh, I belong to the secular Franciscan order. Uh, used to be called the Third Order of St. Francis. And uh, monk would be incorrect with any Franciscan. The uh, 
the first order of Franciscans are called friars, actually. Really? So, so it's a nickname, mainly. So and, you. Uh, so I should should I call you Brian, Friar Brian? That's yeah, kind of weird. You could if you want to, Friar but just Brian. Brian. <laughs> and uh, Brian, what if, for those who don't know you, and uh, it's it's been a while since I've had you on the show, but uh, once you. I mean, it's very unusual for a Franciscan to get involved in uh, ghosts and the paranormal. Why don't you explain to us a little bit how uh, you went down that path? Well, I was doing a paper to prove that there were no such things as ghosts and that uh, society was unduly concerned with the occult and the paranormal. And in doing my own research, I found that, in fact, there were ghosts. And... Uh, uh, the first time that I ever went out, I got seven of them on infrared film. And uh, I found it so unbelievable. I just kept looking at these pictures for months. Then I went out again and again and again and always got them on film. So, um, so that's how I got pretty well hooked on the whole thing. Well, well, let me ask you this. I mean, you went out there. First of all, how did you learn that paranormal, I mean, that uh, infrared film would capture ghosts or spirits? Well, years ago there was a show on TV called That's Incredible that you might remember, and they had a picture of a ghost, and they had the show's photographer on, and he said that uh, to get this picture he used black and white high-speed infrared film. So I figured that's the technique that I'll use. And I went out to prove uh, to myself that uh, it was a lot of hooey. So I got the film, and I uh, I went uh, with Bob Cahill to a place in Salem that was widely reputed to be haunted and uh, took random shots uh, and uh, wound up, as I said, with seven of them on film that were not there when visibly when I took the shots. So um, so when they showed up, I mean, were you astonished? I mean, I mean, what were you feeling was, when you, you saw the first I, one? I mean, I was absolutely astonished. The first one showed a guy in 18th century garb uh, dressed in the period of about oh, the 1790s and uh, with the ruffles at his throat and... Uh, the long hair and uh, uh, other shots were heads floating in space, and uh, these things were not visible to me when I took the shots. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I, I tried to find a rational explanation, couldn't find one, so I went out and shot again. Um, and uh, I got them every time, really. And I, it took me two years to realize that I was sensing them. That's how I was taking the shots. Really? Yeah, I was sensing them. And uh, I would fire the camera in the direction that I sensed them and pretty well bag them all the time. And, uh, so I'm able to sense them. So that's and definitely come a plus. to accept that. Right. Huh? That's definitely a plus. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, Bob Cahill, for those who don't know, uh, wrote a, a couple of books, uh, included, I think, Haunted uh, Happenings and yep. I, I Haunted remember. New England. Haunted New England, right. 
and uh, you actually worked with him for quite a while. Oh yeah, years. Uh, and the interesting thing was that uh, after I moved to Arizona, uh, I called him up one day just to see how he was doing and spoke to him for a good 15 minutes. Uh, he answered the phone and uh, spoke to him for a good 15 minutes. My son spoke to him for 15 or 20 more minutes, and we hung up. Then I called back about a month afterwards and found out that, in fact, he had died five months before. So when we spoke to him, he was already gone. He was already dead for five months. Oh, my God. So... Uh, and I remember him saying to me, Brian, my ghost hunting days are over. Yeah, now, the interesting uh, thing about, I mean, that in itself is, is freaky as, as heck. Uh, yeah. it, it would have been great if it was on, uh, you had actually taped it. That would have been awesome. But uh, Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, but uh, one of the things that, uh, that we don't know about um Bob Cahill is that he was once the sheriff of Essex County as well. Yeah, and he uh, fell prey to the curse of the sheriffs of Essex County. That uh, one of the accused witches at the yeah, time Cor- of Corey, I it was. Yeah, yeah, uh, cursed the blood of all the sheriffs that would ever uh, be sheriff of Essex. And uh, sure enough, Bob came down with. a undiagnosable blood disease <coughs> which compromised his heart and the, one of the valves in his heart which had to be replaced so he had to give up his post as sheriff um, and that's ultimately what he died of the valve gave out it lasted about 11 years and uh, but his his blood there was he had some very bizarre blood disorder and it harkened back to that curse and from 1692, cursing the blood of all the sheriffs that would ever be sitting in that seat. That's right. A lot of people don't know about that, but, yeah, it was the, uh, I believe, the last witch that, uh, that was killed, and that was Corey when he, he was actually pressed to death with uh, stones. And he was yeah, the, the, the re- one of the reasons they did that is if they got a confession from him is... Uh, well, they would get all their property and everything, so it's certainly That's right. a monetary thing as well. You know, it was a big incentive for the sheriff to arrest people because, as you say, he, the sheriff then became the owner of their property. Right. By never confessing, he was never, never able to uh, get that property. So, No, he never did confess. Um, but the sheriff, uh, uh, what he commonly did was he would uh, have people choked to to extract confessions. And uh, when I went into the house with the first place I ever shot, the uh, Joshua Ward house, it was originally uh, where the sheriff lived. And where I took my first shot, I felt someone choking me. Um uh, my my throat just closed up. I didn't feel any hands or anything, but mm-hmm. I felt like I was being choked. And I turned around and shot and got a picture of, of these uh, two men. One of them, in, as I said, was in 18th century garb, 
and there was another one looking over his shoulder. And uh, and uh, I didn't know in advance that the way he used to get his confessions was to ch- have people choked. Yeah, I so, did not know uh, that myself, actually, uh, Brian. Yeah, well, he, that's how he used to get his confessions, was to have people choked in his house uh, and strangled. And that's how he'd get the confessions. And... Uh, and so I went into this most haunted room in the place, and I was choked myself, so I can say I was choked by somebody from 1692. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so I understand you're going to have uh, someone else on, too, right? Well, if he ever calls in, that is. <laughs> uh, we're waiting yeah. for my co-host, Richard Felix, who is the historian from uh, Most Haunted, and my co-host, uh, when he ever calls in, uh, last yeah. week we actually did a live broadcast from the condemned man cell at uh, yeah. Derby Jail, a Derby Jail in the UK, and uh, it went uh, extremely well. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, Brian, I, I mean, Cahill writes a lot of things about you, and, and one of the things he does talk about is, of course, the uh, the Israeli commando glasses. So oh, yeah, I'd like to bring that up a little bit. Well, they were uh, they were uh, Israeli Army surplus uh, infrared field glasses, and I would use those in a lot of my investigations and uh, and uh, I have a new pair that I oh, gave you my son. Yeah, and uh, the uh, one night. Uh, I was out in a cemetery taking shots, and a police, local policeman came along, uh, took the, the field glasses out of the car and broke them for some reason, and uh, so they had to be replaced. But uh, I would use those in my field investigations, and uh, you'd see images of foggy things walking along and... Uh, Different images, just not as good as infrared camera shots, but uh, right. you would see images. And uh, so I, I would take friends out for entertainment and, and uh, show them the local jail in Newburyport and, and let them look through the glasses. And you'd see uh, with the naked eye, the, the jail was all dark at night, but when you put the glasses on, it looked like... Uh, uh, there was a fire going inside, like a potbelly stove, and uh, it threw light, and you'd see images of people walking back and forth in front of the the front window of the place. Uh, and you know, was, that, you know that that is a uh, a restaurant now. Is it? Yep. I know it, it turned into a private residence. Uh, right, but there was I didn't a lawyer, know it was lawyer a lawyer that lived there at one time or something, right? Is that the one we're talking it was about? Uh, an architect that bought it. Oh wait a minute! Wait a minute! I, I think I wait a minute, I think I'm confusing this. You're talking about the jail in Newburyport. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking. Of the what one are you in talking Salem. about? The one in Salem, the Salem jail. Oh. Oh, the Salem jail is a restaurant. It is now a restaurant. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's right next I, to the Howard Street Cemetery. Yeah, I told uh, Bob Cahill one day uh, that I sent something. 
in the corner, there was a courtyard in the jail, and I said, I sense something in that corner. There's very strong presence. And he said, it's interesting that you point to that corner. That's where the gallows used to be, where they used to hang condemned prisoners. And uh, so uh, Salem Jail is another haunted place, I'm pretty sure. It, it, I was it, never it, in it, 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 but I'm pretty sure. I, I would love to go into it now. It's a uh, restaurant. And I haven't been there yet. Uh, we do events as part of the uh, uh, Festival of the Dead in um, Salem every October. And, um. and we go down by the cemetery, Howard Street Cemetery, and last year we were there. And uh, it looks pretty good. I would, But I, I, it's got to have, it's got to be haunted. I just can't figure it out. Well, the Howard Street Cemetery, all around that, they they see ghosts all the time right. on the uh, on the on the sidewalks. Kids playing dressed in period dress from the mid nineteenth century and stuff like that. So all around the Howard Street Cemetery, it's haunted. Right, and no, uh, I, I know it's part of that. Uh, we go we go down here sometimes, and even the, the guests that go with us. Uh, We'll get uh, strange images on uh, the cameras when they take pictures uh, at the yeah. cemetery. Yeah. Of course, yeah. now you can't go in it at night. Originally, when we first went there, we used to go into it, but uh, now they pretty much uh, block that out. Well, if you, if you ask the police, they might let you do it. And uh, it's, it's a very touchy thing in uh, say, oh, I think. at that time of year. Yeah. But anyway, well. so... So one of the uh, the things that I always remember was uh, with with you and Bob Cahill because uh, as I mentioned before you you worked with them for quite a few years yeah and uh, almost twenty that's right and he always he mentions a couple things one thing was about an, on an island up in uh, I think it was Maine was it and uh, it, do you remember that ba- Baker's Island that was off of Salem Massachusetts. Oh. Oh, Salem Mass, my apologies. And there yeah. was some cottages or something there, and he has you, uh, I guess, running away from the spirits at that time. Yeah, that that never happened. That that was Bob's poetic license uh, <laughs> in the book. No, I never ran away from anything. Uh, yeah, I, um, I've worked with you before, and I know that you certainly wouldn't. Uh, uh, but there were some haunted cottages there, yeah. And on the infrared field glasses, you could see these dark images like shadow people, which I used to get on film, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, shadow people walking around in these cottages and outside. And and uh, uh, so Baker's Island is was one of our ports of call, you might say, Uh because there were there was some strange deaths out there. There was a guy that was found years ago. Nobody knew who he was. Just found dead in the bushes and buried there. And uh, and uh, so there was some some odd deaths that happened on the island. And uh, right now it's just where people keep cottages, summer cottages, right? Because there's really no electricity there. You you know if you move out there, you got to pretty well consign yourself to using oil lamps and stuff like that, right. candles. Right. You are listening no to Ghost Chronicles International. My very special guest is 
uh, I guess I'm going to have to say Friar Brian, uh, uh, <laughs> more affectionately known as Brian, Brian the Monk. Is okay. Brian the Monk. And he is a Franciscan monk who uh, also is a uh, great uh, uh, spirit photographer and uh, is also uh, one of my mentors when I first got involved in the in uh, ghost uh, hunting and so forth. So, but Brian, uh, you know, I guess the you've had a lot, a lot of ex- strange experiences, and not not only in just just ghost hunting, but. Uh, it, in life in, in general, uh, do you find that this was because of the ghost hunting, or are they just coincidental? I think it's just coincidental. You do? Uh, yeah. Uh, although, uh, ghost hunting uh, seemed to bring about more and more experiences. There were there was one occasion where I was out at somebody's house, trying to help them because they they were infested with ghosts mm-hmm. and uh my wife was at home and uh and uh you know when I was taking my shots back at home she could hear someone call her name from outside the window but nobody was there uh things would happen in my house uh you would hear uh, in the middle of the night uh, something like a school bell going off uh, and there's no bells. There were no bells in my house. Uh, you would hear things being thrown around. Uh, that that's something that happened after I started ghost hunting. Which is, uh, you know, when you when you hunt them, you have to be prepared that things are going to happen in your personal life because you can bring them home with you as well. That's true. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't know that, which is, you know, really a shame. I mean, we do a lot of protection when we go out to uh, investigate different things. Uh, For instance, we use uh, holy water, of course, and we use uh, the St. Michael's Prayer, uh, which is a a very strong uh, deterrent. Right, exactly. Now, even in your house, I I know that you have, uh, you had tons of, uh, protection. Uh, yeah. You, you were. I'm trying to think of. It. I, I remember this this cross you used to have in, in there it was a very ornate cross. Do you do you remember that at all? When yeah, I still have. It. Still do have I it, right? Still have it with uh, with uh, a relic of the true cross uh, embedded in its base, <coughs> and I have the. Uh, the face of the Shroud of Turin that I put up in my house to to keep it clear of ghosts. Because where I'm living now, we have one in the neighborhood. Uh, I call it a neighborhood. We live out in, in the desert, and it's mostly ranches. But but uh, there are houses here and there, and and there's one that uh, one actually several of them that come walking through and frighten the horses and. Uh, they're usually one of them that sticks in my mind that comes through every couple of months is completely black like a shadow, but dressed in denim jeans and uh, and a denim shirt, so you can see the shirt and the pants, but the, the hands and the face are black, like a shadow. 
Okay. Uh, so, so I still keep all all that stuff on my walls, the crucifix, the shroud of Turin, and have my property blessed every three months or so. Now, now the other thing I, I, I remember when I worked with you was that you had your camera well protected as well. Yeah, I have the shroud of Turin on that too. And I believe you had some rosary beads that were wrapped around it as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because well, there was one time when I was shooting where the camera just stopped functioning and inside the the, the shutter is like a, a little curtain uh, that 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 closes and uh the curtain the, the shutter wound up pulled out completely out of the camera without the camera ever being opened so from that day forward it, uh, I got the camera fixed and from that day forward I put the shroud touring on it and wrapped rosary beads around it, and, and uh, there was no further damage to the camera. Right, and because um, they don't they don't necessarily like to be photographed, and if you use infrared film, uh, they show up every time because of the temperature difference between them and the ambient air. Whereas if you use regular film, it's up to them whether they want to appear or not. Uh, so that's that's the story behind that. Right. Now, I mean, uh, you also carry protection with you uh, for your your own self. I, I mean, we all know that that batteries do get drained, and uh, I found that that actually blessing them with holy water does protect them for the most part now, uh, yes. when you go out. Uh, yes. So, I, I mean. A lot of people say, well, you know, what if the ghosts aren't Catholic? Uh, you know, why is holy water protection for them? Well, uh, it doesn't matter whether they're Catholic or not. It works. Exactly. Uh, it works. And why it works, well, we can't really say because it's beyond the horizon of human experience. But it works. And they are afraid of the Shroud of Turin, I can tell you that for sure. They can't look upon it, and anyone that has a haunting, I always tell them get get uh, pictures of the shroud of Turin from the internet and put them up in every room of your house, and uh, it's worked like a charm every time. It gets rid of them. We we've actually adopted that, and we do use that for uh, cases that uh, uh, people are being tormented by spirits. Uh, we do find that it does work. So yeah. Speaking about the Stroud of Turing, I, I don't know if you were aware of this, but they actually uh, had some of the group that worked on the Stroud of Turing when it was uh, given on Lent from the Vatican, and they actually uh, produced the a 3D image of, of Christ, which was absolutely a phenomenal show if you get to see it. Yeah, uh, I, did, I did see the three-dimensional image, yeah. Uh, did you? I mean, what did you think? I mean, that was pretty phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it 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 shows that the uh, the shroud itself is a phenomenon because the three dimensional image doesn't come out distorted or anything. Which, if it was just uh, a forgery, mm-hmm. the the uh, features wouldn't come out even on the three dimensional imaging, but they do come out even. So. It's uh, something like uh, when 
when uh, Christ arose from the dead. Well, Brian, we have to take a break right now. You want to hold okay. that, and when we come back, we'll actually sure. talk uh, a little bit more about some things. You are listening to Ghost okay. Chronicles International. I'm going to try to get a hold of Richard at the break, and we'll be right back after the following messages on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Welcome to Tokenet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so, yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Ron Kolick and sometimes Richard Felix. Uh, still trying to get a hold of him. Don't know what happened to him, but uh, then again, it's Richard's. Knowing uh, him, he probably had too many glasses of red wine and uh, went off to a deep sleep. So we're still trying to get a hold of him. But anyways, my very special guest is my mentor, uh Brian the Monk, and actually Brian, Friar Brian. <laughs> I like that one better. <laughs> yeah. And, and Brian, Brian, how are you? Good. Yeah. I'm hoping I can talk you into coming down and doing some ghost hunting here in Arizona sometime. Actually, I would on the love road. to. I would I'm just love to. I'm on the road from Tombstone, and uh, if you want to have some real haunting experiences, that's the place. It's Tombstone, Arizona is loaded with ghosts. So, so have you been there? Oh, sure. Yeah, I've been to Boot Hill. Boot Hill is very haunted. The Tombstone Cemetery is very haunted. A lot of the buildings in the town are very haunted. Uh, the streets are haunted. Really? So, yeah, you can see ghosts of uh, the gunfighters and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes, because a lot of the people around Tombstone dress in period dress, you don't know who's real and who isn't. <laughs> so uh but uh yeah there's there's uh 
a place just outside the city called uh, Brunkhouse Cabin, where uh, it was a, a former silver mine. And uh, you go down there at night, and as early as 1895, they had articles on how they could hear people underground with pickaxes picking for silver when uh, it was no longer a mine. Uh, And there's 22 people that were buried out there that were killed by the Indians or Mexican bandits and and so forth. So it's a very haunted location. It's... uh, Almost everywhere you go here is is uh, has its own stories. Now, so, uh, why would spirits basically haunt the desert? I don't know. Well, you know, it's, it's even biblical that uh, uh, and uh, goes way back in history that says that demons and evil spirits haunt. Places where, like the desert, where there's uh, virtually nothing there, empty places like the desert, they haunt. Uh, and also, a lot of history took place here. A lot of the Indian wars with the Apaches, and uh, uh, a lot of uh, bandits that used to be in the in, in the desert. Uh, a lot of people were killed all over the desert by right. uh, by these marauding bands. So, uh, so why why they would all haunt? I don't know. They, uh, but uh, but there's there's a multitude of them here. Now, so. for those who uh, have read my book, Ghost Chronicles, they also know that in chapter, episode six, excuse me, uh, we talk about an exorcism, and yeah. one of the main characters in that episode is Brian. And yeah. uh, uh, Brian, uh, you, you've read the book yourself, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Very well written. The book itself does portray kind of what happened there, or, or did we miss something? And, and no, no, I, I think it's very accurate. Uh, we went down on a call in Boston to uh, the home of a nurse. Very nice place too. It was a red brick building, I think, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. I believe a Victorian. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a Victorian, and. Uh, she was at the point of tears, really, because this haunting just, uh, I think she had a dog. She did. That would, that was very frightened. And, yeah, it uh, actually would torment the dog as well. Yeah, so we did the exorcism there, and she didn't have any more problem after that. Right. Now, uh, this, so, type yeah. of, this type of uh, possession was actually a demonic obsession, is, is I believe, that w- yeah. we, we determined possession it was. Is, Possession is said to take place in stages. Is what's called demonic obsession, where <coughs> they make themselves known to you. You can hear their voices or even see them, and uh, that's supposed to be one of the last stages before they actually take you over. Uh, and she was at that stage where she could hear them. Uh, I'm not sure if I remember whether she could see them or not. But they were uh, 
they were making a presence known to her. They were fixated on her. Right. They caused uh, thousands of dollars worth of damage to her apartment alone. And I, yeah. I remember one instance where the banister, uh, the spindle actually came out when we were flying across the room and hit her in the, the head. Uh, yeah. So she was to- totally frightened. Yeah, she was. And she was not, she was not, you could tell she was, she wasn't given to hallucination or making up stories. She was legitimately frightened. She had a responsible job. She was an operating room nurse. And, uh, she had a long career and, uh, and she was a very well adjusted, uh, person. Uh, but she was going through hell in this place. Uh, it put me in mind of another story of a woman that uh, down in Hyde Park that bought a house that was haunted, and they became uh, more and more uh, uh, what, what would you say? She became more and more aware of them. They would she would hear them at first, then she could see them. Right, and she said there were six of them. And she said that when she went to bed at night, she could feel a heartbeat through the mattress, and somebody else's heartbeat, which was really eerie. Yeah, I think uh, so. <laughs> and uh, her niece came up and just did, didn't photograph the place uh, to catch the ghosts, but uh, we, we took some shots because she had her kids with her and uh, took some shots in the yard and... Sure enough, there was uh, an image of a of what looked like a, a man, but he was bald. And his head looked like a light bulb. If you ever seen a painting called The Scream, it looked like that. Oh well. Uh, so uh, eventually, uh, she she became a, a full blown possession case. She she didn't want to give up her ghost. She liked living with them and. Uh, and uh, they controlled everything she did, and her family just gradually ostracized her, uh, which was unfortunate. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I thought of with with the uh, case of the nurse. Was this other case where in Hyde Park, where they just gradually became more and more known to her uh, until you see them, and then once you see them. And they 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 start talking to you, uh, and you can hear them. Then it's time to call a priest to do something. No, no, uh, it was is that the case? I remember you telling me about a case where uh, the mother was was uh, really possessed, and oh God, I wish I remember. Oh, yeah. Meticulous about it. Is that the same case or is that a different case? No, that's a different case. That was in Beverly. Oh, okay. Where uh, where uh, they had over 300 snapshots taken in the house, over 300 that had extra people in the snapshots, and they weren't normal-looking people either. They were grotesque. They were like what you would uh, imagine coming out of hell. And uh, so they, uh, their the children were afflicted, and uh, the, the kids would cry and scream uh, all day and all night being in this house. 
and uh, the husband said that he could see blue images dancing in the garden at night. This house was built in 1640. It was a 14-room house. And uh, so we, Bob Cahill and I went up there to investigate, and I blessed the whole place with holy water. And the wife went berserk when uh, the kid the kids stopped screaming, and uh, and uh, the husband said to her, "You know, maybe the guy was right. Maybe the, we we should have a priest down here." And uh, the the wife turned around with a knife in her hand and said, "I don't want that guy back in this house." She wound up actually admitted to a psychiatric facility. And he wound up getting rid of the house and leaving town with the kids. And they were divorced. Oh, that's a shame. But she wound up in a psychiatric facility. There was another possession case I saw in a hospital. Because I used to work in hospitals. <coughs> where a guy in 1958 came back from a tour of duty with the Army in Germany... And uh, uh, he was discharged for psychiatric reasons, and his wife uh, came home one day. He had picked up the stove, which the 1950s stoves were big, heavy affairs. Oh, yeah. And uh, this guy was just a skinny little guy and picked up the stove and put it through the wall of the apartment, which was brick. Uh and it landed in the courtyard below, and from that day forward, he was he was admitted to a psychiatric facility. And uh, uh, so when I when I met him, it was 1986, and he had been in a psych unit that long. Um, and uh, he would talk in several different voices. Uh, if you'd go in his room, he'd be in, in what was called a posy belt, a, a belt to keep him tied to a chair. And uh, you'd walk in his room, and it had a big, heavy wooden door, and the door would close behind you, slam itself. Uh, uh, there was no wind to do that. There was The door wouldn't naturally close. It would naturally stay in the open position. Right. But the door would slam itself when you went into his room, and he would talk in several different voices. Uh, uh, and he didn't have a happy ending to his story either. I put a blessed cross around his neck and said some prayers over him, and and uh, the voices that he could do would stop. He he, he didn't uh, do that anymore. But he just never came back to his senses. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing, though, the, the, there was a new movie out now uh, called The Right. Uh, the Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's basically about a, a person who, an exorcist, right? Yeah. And he eventually becomes possessed. And, and people can't really understand why that happens. Uh, gee, I know that, I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but... Would that be possible? Uh, you know, the reasons for possession are obscure. No one knows uh, how or why it happens. But you have to open up a door somehow to let them in, whether it's fooling around with a Ouija board or having a weak moment. And, uh, 
and letting them in, but no, they can't take you over just out of nowhere. No. You have to do something that invites them in. Right. And that could be almost anything, but it requires your consent. In one way or another, right? There, there, there are subtle, 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 subtle ways of consent. Actually, correct. That's that's right. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, of, yeah. So the the right is supposed to be based on a true story, but I'm not sure. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not sure whether they depict what the priest did to invite them in. But they they can't just simply take you over. No. You have the right to reject them. Now, another question I do have, and, well, first of all, I have a question from the chat room, and they ask you, uh, have you ever been frightened? Oh, yeah. And that was from Paul in the chat room, in the Tojinet chat room. If anybody has a question, by the way, they can certainly ask in either the Pararex or the Tojinet chat room. Or give us a call at 877-864-4869. So, have you ever been frightened? Yeah, I, uh... I haven't been frightened in years. I mean, I don't get frightened anymore because I'm just so used to it. But uh, there was one night in the Newburyport Cemetery when I was taking shots and a wind came out of the hill of the cemetery and blasted me in the face. It was so cold that it burned the image of my camera into my face. It was it was red everywhere around my face except where the camera was. And uh uh I kept shooting and I got these uh a couple actually, a man and a woman coming through the wall in over seven frames. Uh and days later I happened to be in the Newburyport Library and one of the librarians said to me, I almost hit you with my car the other night and I said, how was that? She said, you were taking pictures down by the cemetery, but you were surrounded with a fog, so I didn't see you until the last second almost hit you with my car. Well, the fog was visible to her, but it wasn't visible to me. But I was, but I knew something was advancing toward me and the camera at the time, and I was, I was quite frightened at the time. I don't think I would be now, but I was then. Right. Uh, so yes, I was frightened. And that was was that Old Hill Cemetery or the New Ford Cemetery? Uh, it was called Old Hill. Yeah, right. That's the one where the they, have, Hill. they actually they actually have the open grave where you can see uh, uh, the uh, bones and some of it. And that's also yeah. the place where the crypt has been broken into several times as well. Yeah, yeah. Starting the first time was in 1895 or 1896 where. Kids broke into the tomb. Then in 1926, uh, kids were uh, seen going down the main street in Newburyport, High Street, wearing clothes from the 1800s, and it was the clothes that they took off the dead bodies in the, inside the crypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it happened again in the 1980s, and it's it's just been broken into so many times it's not even funny right in the 2000s and the kids never the kids never know why they broke in in the first place in, in 2000 and something Almost like I, the, that it was the same thing happened again there was a work gang in the cemetery and it was broken in again and actually one of the heads was twisted off the corpse and the guy had his picture taken with it on his shoulder and stuff so yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's uh, and the at the time the uh, the family that's interred there in the tomb, they only had one living relative, and I think she was in a nursing home, so they didn't press charges. Right. Uh, we, but we actually we actually have somebody who differs. Uh, to they think that uh, your statement about spirit possession only coming because of letting your guy down. Our Ouija board uh, activity—I uh, guess they don't believe that there must be other ways of possession. In other words, they're saying, uh, "I'm really Kristen. If if you want to, uh, she's in the Pararex chair. I mean, the uh, Tojina chair. And if you want to expand upon that a little bit, uh, we'll get you an answer for it. But uh, she, she tends to differ. I'm not quite sure why she's different about though. Uh, but basically, uh, it is some type of, uh, you know, uh, hole in your defenses, basically, I would say. Is a, yeah, is a oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Uh, there is a hole in your defenses. That's a good way to put it. If she differs, then it sounds like she's saying that you, you have no, no control and you can become possessed uh just just because they single you out and that's not true the, the, at least maybe one of those my experience we, yeah this may be one of the things we were talking about before which is uh that you unintentionally uh either invite him or, or let your guard down yeah you let your guard down right and we are talking to Brian the monk who is a franciscan I, I can't say monk now, Franciscan friar. How's that? Secular Franciscan. There you go, secular Franciscans. And uh, you, you have actually conducted uh, a few uh, exorcisms, I guess. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, a few. Yeah. A few, probably and, 16. Yeah. Uh, Kristen, is, does, she did expand upon it a little bit more. She says, I've had strange experiences, momentary, but did, but... It did happen. Uh, rage out of nowhere when I lived in a haunted house. Haunted house. Yeah, I was yeah. just a kid, and I had no clue about spirituality. So I guess she was saying that, you know, she reacted uh, uh, differently uh, than normal. So it was yeah. hyper, yeah. I can't really comment on it. It's outside my experience. I, 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 uh, all the cases I ever saw. Uh, person let their guard down in some way, which you can do if you're a kid. Right. Uh, but I don't have uh, any experience with somebody that that was just walking along, minding their own business, and uh, and became possessed even momentarily. Uh, something happens at the level of the soul, which she may not even even been aware of. That she that her soul dropped its guard for a moment. Uh, she may not even be aware of of that, but I I don't know. I don't know what her experience was. Right now, uh, this reminds me of another case that we actually worked on together, and this was a place up in Derry, New Hampshire. It was a, an old old house, about seventeen hundreds, uh, one of the oldest yeah. houses in town. And yeah, I remember. And they built the second floor on it. And when they built the second floor, they found a human bone in the wall. And then uh, they they had a uh, baby. And uh, yeah, when, once they, they with all the bedrooms on the second floor and and all 
they kept having this chemical spell and and the baby's yeah. toys and everything would move and all this stuff. And yeah. uh, do you remember that one, Brian? Yeah, I do. And uh, <coughs> I told them they could call me up 24-7, which they did. They called me up one night in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning is really significant as a time. I'll tell you in a minute about that. The uh, And we prayed together over the phone and it disappeared. Uh, but 3 o'clock in the morning is like the time for haunting, hauntings. And it's supposed to be because Christ was crucified at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. it's the opposite. Everything with the devil is the opposite of anything dealing with Christ. So it's the opposite of 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, And that's when a lot of hauntings become rampant. Um, That's when, for example, up in Tombstone, that's when a lot of the ghosts decided it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, thought on why that. Uh, a lot of people, even in the, the Wiccans and so forth, think that's uh, a particular time when the, the veil is the thinnest between the, the realms of the living and the dead as well. So that's, that's their take on it. Yeah. But uh, nighttime is definitely. And, and I, one of the uh, the things we're talking about, uh, investigations we did together, is that particular one is uh, you actually did a, a baptism of that child. And then. I did, yeah. yeah which, it, which they. I, I said, you know, you need to take the child to a priest, and uh, which they did. And. They wanted the baptism registered, which the priest wouldn't do, uh, because how would the priest know if there was a defect in the baptism? This is so true. he wanted to do it over again. They didn't want to do the baptism over again, I remember. Right. Uh, but they probably should have done what the priest said. Well, I haven't spoken to him for a long time, but I understand that everything is is fine with them. Uh, and, of course, the, the little baby is now, oh, God, it's got to be, uh, I'm thinking, about eight years, Brian, you think? Or yeah, longer? Eight, eight or ten. Eight or ten years old. So she's a, a little yeah. girl now. And uh, uh, last time I talked to the grandparents, uh, they're fine. Everything's cool. So That's good. Yeah. And one of the things I did want to mention, uh, we did have a question about orbs, and we know in, with the new digital cameras that orbs can be reproduced. Uh, dust, dust particles can create orbs as well as uh, right. water vapor and so forth. Uh, but I know that in, uh, when you did that exorcism of the uh, one in South Boston, uh, and you got a picture, it was... Uh, it, it, you like to say an awe, but it really wasn't. It was almost like a fiery mass. It was huge, yeah. and, and you yeah. actually captured that. I remember that uh, distinctly. In fact, I, I believe that's in our book as well, Ghost Chronicles. Yeah. Um, uh, these orbs are sometimes visible to the naked eye as well. The one I yeah. mentioned that goes through our neighborhood floats through as an orb sometimes, and everybody can see it floats through at a, at a height of about 50 feet. One night I saw it shoot into the ground, uh, but it's something that everybody in the neighborhood has seen. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. 
so the orbs are are sometimes visible to the naked eye. Uh, the question I had uh, when I first started investigating this stuff was, are ghosts capable of intelligent action? Uh, right. Or are they just like newsreels that constantly replay themselves? And I found that they were, in fact, capable of intelligent action because uh, being afraid of of sacramental objects or the Shroud of Turin is being afraid and going the other way is an intelligent action. Uh, with the, uh, the one I told you about where they had 300 snapshots with extra people in 14 rooms in the house. They had a phone with nine extensions because it was a big house. And, and uh, as we went through the house, the phone would ring, and the clo- the phone closest to us would ring, but none of the others would ring. So as we went from room to room, only that phone would ring, and if you picked up the phone, nobody was there. And that, again, is an intelligent action. Uh, so uh, that answered that question for me. Were they, were they able to... Uh, interact with the living or or was or or were ghosts just recorded images that play themselves back right as one one author suggested one time that they were just images that played themselves over right. and over again yeah I don't know. I, I that's that's another thing that's beyond our experience. We can't know uh what colors signify with ghosts. Uh uh that if it's a color red I I would the knee jerk reaction I take it as a non friendly entity. Uh because I would I would think that uh Anything that was friendly or from heaven would be white uh, or glowing white. Uh, I think red is is something that you know sets your defenses in in motion. So, uh, well, it's always a pleasure, Ron. And uh, I understand they can't hear me anyway, so uh, I don't know what happened, but I have disappeared. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, let's try the old phone. All right. So, anyways, we want to thank you uh, so much for tuning in. Our special guest has been Brian the Monk. And, Brian, thank you. And hopefully, we'll have Richard back next week. Okay. So, for everybody, it's good night and God bless, everyone. God bless. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. 
start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer, Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on 